Welcome. It's so good to have you with us. Uh, I, for the first time in a few months, have a live audience with me, which is great. So um, it, it does something to my heart to see people who are part of the Seacoast family. Um, and so it's so great to have my friends with us here from Seacoast, and it's so great to have you tuning in uh, with us wherever you are. You know, this year, uh, it's been quite a year so far, has it not? Uh, I thought in February, I was um, skiing and snowboarding with my family. We were in Utah, and um, we watched a Laker game, and then the next day, I was out on the slopes, and I got a text from my wife who said, Kobe Bryant just died. And I just remember feeling so shocked by that and so like, what in the world? That just seems so strange and so weird. Like, this is a weird year. Little did I know (laughs) that that was about as normal as this year would get so far. You know, right after that, we went into the coronavirus lockdown. And The thing about that is it started off and we were all kind of like, hey, we're in this together. Let's get through this. Let's flatten the curve. Let's be safe. And then within weeks, we started seeing what our country does well lately is we started seeing divisions and fractures and different viewpoints and just people being split apart. And then, of course, a couple weeks ago with the death of George Floyd, What started off right away was this pretty good moment where all of a sudden people were finally saying, wait a minute, we need to awaken. Our country needs to do better. We still have an issue with race. And so many people the first few days were calling out saying, hey, let's let's once and for all recognize these injustices and make some changes. And it was healthy and it was good. But I think it took about four days to go from the, the message being about racism to all of a sudden it became polarizing as many people responded in many different ways and then we saw our nation once again divide even more and people digging in their heels and people not seeing that someone else's perspective and this really important message all of a sudden is completely changed and I keep thinking what's next? You know, these things that started off and meant to unite became political and became very divisive. And I was thinking about that, you know, as a lead pastor, there's just a little extra weight when all these things happen because we don't all believe the same thing. We don't all see the world the same way. Um, I know because I hear from many of you. And I hear different perspectives and different things we should do and different viewpoints. And, and I accept that burden. I bear it. I'm okay with it. That's what I'm here. That I know that that's my calling and that's okay. But when I think of that, when I even think of how we respond to coronavirus or health issues, how we respond to racism, which is a very, very important issue. Many of you have heard me. Uh, if you've been around Seacoast for any length of time, that is one of my soapbox issues that I've talked about many, many times. These are important things, but what's important for us is I bear the weight and our staff team and our elder board wants to help us to understand as Christians, what does this mean for us? Because see, we are not citizens just of Encinitas or San Diego, of California, United States. 
we do have, if you're a citizen of any of those, of course we have some responsibilities, how we vote, how we interact, how we pay our taxes, all these things are important. But we as Christians are citizens of heaven. Our kingdom, our lives are meant to live for a kingdom that is not of this world. And our very lives are to put on display the kingdom of God. And so when I look at all of these issues, the thing, the burden I bear and that I want so much for our church family is to know what does it mean to be a part of the kingdom of God? And and as I think about this, I was on a call this week with some pastor friends and a mentor of mine, and this one thought came up that is really important, and it's this. The politics that divide us bear no weight compared to the king who unites us. That's an amen moment. I want you to hear that. Let me say this again because I want you to hear it. The politics that divide us bear no weight compared to the king who unites us. Amen? Amen. One more time at home. I want you to know this. I want you to hear it because the politics that divide bear no weight compared to the king who unites and the king, the kingdom of God, we serve our King Jesus, and he already gives us everything we need for a life of righteousness. Even when we slip, when we fall, when we live our lives apart from our new life in him, even then he still sees us as, as fully part of his kingdom. And so when we look at the mess that we as people create, it just reminds me that we have a king, we don't live by the same standards. Politics are not our hope. Jesus is our hope. Politics are not the hope for the world. They play an important role at times, but they will fall short over and over and over again. The hope for the world is Jesus Christ. And for us as a church, why we exist to help people discover life in Christ, all you have to do is watch the news for five minutes to know that the world needs a better solution. And so we want to be about a better solution. And so we want to be reminded that Christ is where our answer is. Now, again, that doesn't mean that you can't engage in conversation, that you don't vote, that you don't participate. But ultimately, for me, I lose hope when I start thinking the hope is in fellow man solving this. And when I look around and see how we're solving things, it's discouraging because we're not. And we just so happen to be in a presidential election year, so my guess is we're not done. (laughs) We're not done with some chaos. You know, Paul wrote, when he wrote to the church in Rome, he started off and said, I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. And he always talks about for the Jew and for the Gentile. But I want you to hear that. It's not ashamed of the good news about Jesus because it is in that good news is the very power not just to save us from our sins and give us a better future, which he does, but also to, it is the power of God to literally transform our lives and to transform the world that we live in. That is what the power of the good news is. It changes, it, it completely redefines our life here. So when we're thinking of issues of race, even when we're thinking of public health and safety and we're thinking of uh, our rights and should we respect the governor, should we, what, well, how does all this work? It all comes down to, Lord Jesus, you're our king 
And we can bear up any of this and give up more of ourselves because we are new creations, creatures in you. And we live for a bigger hope and we've been transformed by the good news. So I share all this with you just to encourage you this week to remind you that your citizenship is in heaven and we want to put the kingdom of God on display, which means grace and mercy, justice, peace, forgiveness, compassion, even for those that you completely disagree with or that you're frustrated with or that your response to them is anything but loving, that the kingdom of God brings hope in those situations. That is the creative intro to today's sermon. (laughs) We are going to talk about the series now that we're in. We're in a series called uh, Refresh. It's a series through the Psalms. You know, when we were planning this, we did not plan to go through the Psalms this summer. But as we were into March and into April, we just thought, okay, we're not going to, we were going to do a study through the Ten Commandments. And I thought, I don't need law this summer. (laughs) We need to be reminded of who God is and his goodness and his grace and his, who he is. So this summer is a summer through the Psalms called Refresh. We started it last week. Dale did an awesome job kicking off the series as he talked about what it meant to rest uh, tonight we're going to look at Psalm 42, so I want to invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Psalm 42. And our theme for tonight is hope, and the title for this message is Hope from the Deep. And the deep I'm talking about is kind of, the, if you ever said, hey, I feel like I just jumped into the deep end, if you ever feel like, man, I am in over my head, tonight what we want to talk about is how do you find hope from the deep. And we're looking at Psalm 42. Now, when we're reading Psalms, just a couple things. Psalms are unique books in the Bible. They're or, uh, writings in the Bible. They are, it is poetry. Um, part of the poetry, there's a lot of repetition, a lot of parallelism. Sometimes there's this chiastic structure. In other words, he'll start with one idea, share different ones, and then kind of go back to that one at the end. There's a lot of different literally literary techniques used in the Psalms. Psalms use a lot of imagery. It's not all meant to be taken literally. So if you're reading Psalms and you say, oh, it says the mountains are clapping their hands and the rocks are singing out, don't say, well, the Bible's irrelevant because I've never seen rocks sing. Um, It's called poetry. So uh, there's a lot of imagery that we'll find in the Psalms, great ways of expressing. And there's different types of psalms. There's psalms of lament. There's psalms of praise. There's psalms of what I call psalms of complaining, <laughs> where, where you just have the psalmist saying, God, here's, here, I'm going to just dump all my junk on you, and like this is everything I'm going through. What I love about the psalms is that if you are poetic at all, you can probably relate to many of them. And if you're not poetic, you probably can read it and say, yeah, I felt this way. So Psalm 42, I think, is a really appropriate one for us today. So let's jump right into it. And I want to just show you some of the main themes of it and then what we can learn. And we're just going to talk about it as we go through it. That's how we'll structure it tonight. So today, so it starts off with this and says, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? Now he starts off with that imagery of just as a deer pants for water and there's these deer that live in the Judean wilderness and I, I remember seeing them living in Israel and thinking like, this is a terrible place to be an animal trying to find water. You're next to the Dead Sea that you can't drink. You have to find these streams. And so that imagery became very 
uh, clear to me, but I was thinking just last week, I went camping with some of my boys, and uh, we were, the last day we were camping up in Flagstaff, Arizona. And Flagstaff, you know, it's like 7,000 feet high. The peaks of the mountains there are like 12,000 feet. So we were in Flagstaff. It was like 40 degrees at night, 70 during the day. It was perfect. And, but you drive from Flagstaff, and to get to San Diego, there's only one way to get there. You got to go through the Arizona desert. And so you kind of go down from Flagstaff towards Phoenix. And while you're driving down, it's just getting hotter and hotter. You leave, you know, you gain 30 degrees in temperature. And you also, you move from these nice big ponderosa pine trees to dirt. <laughs> I, every time I drive through Phoenix, I just think like, who, who was the pioneer who was like going across the desert and just said, look at this, no lakes, no streams, no trees to build our house. Let's put a city here. What a great place. I mean, it's like there's, there's no, I, I have no idea what happened, um, how, that, how they decided. So we went through Phoenix and started driving, and we started playing this game called, because uh, I told my boys, like, Phoenix is the worst place. I would, this is somewhere I would never want to live. And I know some of you have lived there and maybe love it. God bless you. Uh, so, but as we were coming from there, I had this, we were playing this game with my, one of my sons is like, okay, trying to find a city that I would rather live in Phoenix than that city. That was the game. And so we, we, you know, like El Paso, I was like, no, okay, Phoenix, you got me. Albuquerque, no, Phoenix, okay. Bakersfield, mm, toss up, right? You're like, I don't know, any Bakersfield people in here? So there's, you know, so that was kind of the game. But so the thing about driving through Phoenix then is you start heading back to San Diego through the desert and then you get to the Colorado River. Anyone ever make that drive? And you cross the river. And whenever I see it, I think, what I want to do right now is pull over my car on the side of this bridge and jump off the bridge into the river. That looks like the most refreshing thing on earth right now. And just this last week when I'm making that drive, I thought, I get this as a deer pants for water. The way when I'm coming out of the desert and I see like any bit of water, you're like, that sounds so amazing. And the psalmist starts off with that same imagery and says, just as that, my soul is longing for God, thirsting for God. And I don't know about you, but in this season, I don't know if you've had some moments where you just thought like, you know what I could use right now is the presence of God more than anything. I could just use a touch of God's, I just want that reassurance. And so the psalmist, I think, is in a moment very much like we are as a nation where he's just saying, Man, as those deer are longing for water, I just, I'm longing for God. I'm longing for his presence so much. It's palpable. So we, he starts off with this longing. Goes on and says, my tears have been my food. Day and night. Well, people say to me all day long, where is your God? Uh, again, look at some of the literary things. It's pretty cool. Verse two, he says, my soul thirsts for God. In verse three, he says, my tears are my food. So what he's craving here is the presence of God. What he's craving is to know and be in the comfort of God. But he's saying, but what I taste are my tears. So what I'm thirsting for is God, but what I'm getting is my tears. Maybe some of you can relate to the moments where you've been there. Where you say, Lord, I just feel like what I need right now is you, but all I'm getting is my pain. I don't know where you are. And so we have this just strong sense of longing. And he even says, well, people are looking at me so much so they're saying, where's your God? Where's this God you have so much hope in? 
In fact, he picks up that theme again if you look down in uh, verse 9. It says, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying, where is your God? So that's some of that repetition you see. But whatever the psalmist is going through, his longing right now is just for that presence of God, that reassurance. So he starts with the longing. The next thing we see then, he says, so these things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. In other words, he's now saying, oh, I remember those days when I would go with in the assembly of the saints and we would worship God probably in the temple he's probably referring to. Maybe for, we have a live audience tonight, maybe some of us are here because we say, oh, I remember when I used to sit near people even closer than six feet apart and worship God. Maybe some of you at home are longing for that time and thinking back, oh yeah, I remember. So what happens is the psalmist goes from longing, man, I'm desperate to hear God, and then saying, I remember now. I want to recall how some of the times in my past where we connected. You know, I know a lot of young people uh, maybe look back on their life of faith, maybe in high school, maybe in college, and say, oh, I remember used to be really passionate. Maybe those kind of Hume Lake mountaintop moments where you say, oh, yeah, God was really, I just remember having this vibrant walk, and it seems so far gone. I, I love this psalm because I think there's this principle here about remembering and recalling those times and saying, oh, yeah, Lord, I, if you were real then, if you were present then, if you've shown up before, like you haven't changed. So he's going through this discipline of remembering. God, I remember those times. I remember that touch. I remember you being there. Verse five, as he continues on, then says this, why my soul are you downcast? Why are you so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my savior and my God. And what we see is he's, he's trying to get to a point of praise. And notice here, I, I, I think what we're seeing is he's, he's fighting to hope in God. He's fighting to have this hope. He's saying, why are you so downcast, oh, my soul? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him. In other words, I know that once again, I will get to a point of praise. I know I'm going to get through this. I know I'm going to see a victory. I know that things are going to get better. Right now, though, I have to convince myself of this truth. Have you ever been there? I read something great today when he's talking. Um, often we, uh, this uh, commentator, Lloyd-Jones, said this, we often listen to ourselves. He said, don't listen to yourself. Talk to yourself. There are times when you are just listening to those little voices that maybe are saying, oh, you know what, you're a failure, you've messed up again, or maybe, you know, God is long gone, or yeah, you used to have a real faith, but that's over. And we start listening to this, but this psalmist isn't just listening, he's talking to himself. Why so downcast, oh my soul? Oh yeah, put your hope in God. Put your hope in God. So he's rehearsing the truth. He's preaching the truth to himself. I know uh, Matt, our, our pastor of groups and young adults, often says we need to learn to preach the gospel to ourselves. And, and so 
we want to talk to ourselves at this time. The psalmist does this. And, and, and I was just thinking in Romans chapter 8, we have verses 31 through 35. There's a lot of things that I think are good for us to remind ourselves of truth. Here's a few things. If God is for you, who can be against you? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for you, how will he not also with him graciously give you all things? Who shall bring any charge against you as God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed is interceding for you? Who shall separate you from the love of God in Christ? See, these are great things that when we get to those moments where maybe we're drifting or wandering or needing that hope, like, let's talk to ourselves. Let's preach the truth to ourselves. Let's remember these things. And so we see the psalmist say, my soul, put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him. I know we're going to get to that moment. Verse 6, my soul is downcast within me, therefore I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, from the heights of the Hermon, from Mount Mitzar. So again, he's going back to remembrance again. We see these themes repeat. My soul is downcast, look at that. My soul is downcast, therefore I will remember you. When you're feeling hopeless and downcast, where do you turn? Do you turn to the news? Do you turn to your favorite channel, your favorite pundit, your favorite politician? He says, I'm downcast. Therefore, I will remember you, my God. Those moments when we're downcast, we're told, remember. Remember that you're a God who rescued me from my sin. You're a God who loves me in my brokenness. You're a God who considers me, who, fa- who gives favor to me even in my imperfections. So when you're downcast, let's remember. Remember who God is. He goes on and he says, deep calls out to deep in the roar of the waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. This deep calls out to deep is kind of this imagery of uh, the idea that out of the depths, God is the source of the water, maybe from these waterfalls. And so often you have this idea of from the deep to deep is God is the source of the water coming from deep, but saying calling out to the deep where, hey, I'm now in the deep. The, wa- the breakers are breaking over me. So the deep is calling out to the deep. He's saying, I, and, and those of you who surf, you know those moments when the breakers go over you. You're paddling out and you have those moments where you just mistimed it. You can't quite get there to duck dive and you can't quite hold back and you know like that wave is going to bury me. You know that feeling? That feeling sometimes is really fun, exhilarating, and sometimes you just think like, I, I think I'm going to die in about 30 seconds. And, and you kind of duck dive the best you can. You feel the water hit you. The breakers go over you. Sometimes you, your board goes and you t- get tossed. That's the imagery this author is writing here. The deep is calling out to deep, and the roar of your water falls. The source of, of all this power is God, and he's calling out to the deep places where this person is at. You're calling out to me, and then look at this. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. Notice as he remembers, he starts to rehearse certain truths. 
Even in the deep, he's finding hope and says, oh, by day the Lord is directing his love towards me. At night, his song is directed towards me. Isn't that interesting to think there's this song that God is directing towards you? Uh, this, I look back at uh, Zephaniah chapter 3. I know probably many of you have been studying uh, religiously through Zephaniah, so you probably have this well rehearsed. But Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17, has always been one of my favorites. It says, The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but rejoice over you with singing. Is that amazing truth? This psalmist says, from the deep to deep, you're cry- I hear you crying out, and I'm finding hope from the deep, and I know by day you direct your love, and at night your song is directed towards me. Could it be he's rejoicing over you with singing? He's saying, you are my precious child. I love you. You're going to get through this. I want to meet you where you are. As he goes on, Verse 9, we already read this, but it says, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? So he's going back now into the longing theme. Why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony. My foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? So even when he starts finding hope, he goes back to, oh yeah, there's stuff happening. But then he ends. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why are you so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Remind yourself of that truth. Are you feeling downcast? Are you discouraged after a couple months of our country completely being turned upside down? I know I have been. I feel like I was charging through pretty strong. And to be honest, the George Floyd stuff has been very dis- discouraging. Again, one of my soapbox box issues is the, just, the racial justice issue. It was really discouraging to see that all of a sudden there's this frenzy around it, that no longer are we talking about justice. In fact, they even caused division and misunderstanding within the church, within the community. It just breaks my heart. It's actually discouraging. I had to remember and go back to you. Why are you so downcast, oh my soul? You're downcast when you put your hope in other things that are never going to solve. When we put our hope in places that can never satisfy. It might be for you putting your hope in a career, maybe putting it in a political party, maybe putting it in a president, a governor. Maybe putting your hope in a vaccine. I've put my hope, tried to put my hope in a lot of things. There's so many times I've been waiting when you see the governor making new announcements. Oh, I just hope he lets me do something new this week. As if that's going to solve everything. And I'm reminded as I re- reflect on this this week, I need to rehearse this, put my hope in God. It sounds so simple. It sounds so cliche. But what an amazing truth to preach to yourself. And even at the end, look at that. For I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. You may not be at a place of praise today. But keep rehearsing the truth. Keep putting your hope in God. Remember what he has done. 
Talk to yourself. Don't listen to the negative talk. Talk to yourself. Remind yourself of the good news. And there will be a time when you will yet praise him. It is coming. There is a victory coming. The battle isn't ours. It's the Lord's. And that's the truth that we want to hang on to. So I feel like this last two weeks have been kind of heavy. And they haven't been particularly encouraging. But I do believe that the greatest encouragement is found in remembering who our God is. And I know it might sound simple, but for church, I long for you to find your hope in Jesus. And I long for our community to find his hope, its hope in Jesus through you and through me as we become people of hope and peace and grace. So let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your truth. We thank you that it can be tough. And Lord, I thank you that even in the times when we're discouraged and even when I look around and see um, fighting and I see disagreements and even some chaos, God, in those moments, Lord, we believe you to be the answer. So Lord, we thank you for that and I pray that we would find hope in you. And Lord, even as we listen to these final songs, Lord, would you remember us or remind us about you? Would you help us remember who we're singing about? Remember who we're talking to? Remember that this battle is not ours, it's yours. So God, we give it to you now. In Jesus' name, amen.